So let's take a look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. But before we do that, I came across a list of some of the most exciting adventures that a person can have. Side note, Susan and I didn't do any of these on our trip. But, but maybe if, if this is one of yours, uh, then you know, let, us, let us know. Uh, skydiving. Okay, did not do any, any skydiving. Uh, bungee uh, jumping, bungee diving, uh, did not do uh, any of those. I think that really anything that the word die is a major part of the word. I'm kind of saying skydiving, uh, bungee diving, I'm not doing any of those. Fire limbo. Uh, that, that's like limbo, but it's on fire. Now, they did not include the, the hot coal walking, but I assume that if you've got a fiery limbo, then you probably could do the fire walking uh, as well. Uh, surfing, which on this list kind of seems kind of bland, if you, if you ask me. Uh, hang gliding, uh, swimming uh, with the great white sharks. I, I like that it's not just sharks, but it's got to be the great white uh, sharks. And then again, the same thing, climbing a volcano, but it can't be just a regular volcano. It has to be an active volcano. Why would somebody do any of these things? The answer to that, I think, is that we like excitement. Uh, we like uh, things that kind of make us feel alive and to be excited uh, to be alive and remind us that, that we are a living being and, and, and maybe that's on the threshold there, but we, but we love these kinds of things. Now, again, my preference is that I don't necessarily believe that exciting has to be death-defying. What I'm looking for in terms of excitement is I'm looking for things that are worthy of my enthusiasm. Something that will put a pep in the step, so to say. Things that just make you awake and alive and exciting. We need excitement. We desire excitement. We're looking for excitement. And the good news that I have for you today is that real faith is really exciting. Real faith, the faith of following Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, walking as the people of God, I want you to know that that is a really exciting way to live. Real faith is really exciting. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before your word, and more important than that, as we come before your spirit, Lord, I pray that our ears would be attentive. Lord, I pray that our hearts may be soft. I pray that our minds may be engaged. And Lord, I pray that we would be ready to hear from you and to have our lives rearranged because of the truth that comes from you. We pray this in your name. Amen. One of the things that we did do on our trip, it didn't make the list, uh, but we went to a Brave, Atlanta Braves baseball game. Um, they won unfortunately. Um, we, we were cheering the other direction. Uh, but one of the things that you go to a baseball game, they got the giant big screen out there in the outfield. And throughout the game, they'll, they'll kind of put the camera on folks and everybody gets to wave and say, hi, mom, and all those kinds of things. And, and people who are just outside of the screen, they try to lean in so that they can get on camera and they can get noticed and they can get seen. And so that's kind of the standard operating procedure when you, when you get to the ballpark is you want to get on the screen. Well, before the game, uh, they just kind of had some time to kill, and what they did is that they called it the oblivious cam. And what they started to do is they started to scan the crowd and find people who weren't paying attention. 
And they would put the camera on somebody who was on their phone. And they would put them on the giant screen TV while the person is just on their phone. And they would put a little counter on the clock here, one second, two seconds, minute and a half, of how long it took them to notice that they were on a 100-foot screen that the entire stadium was looking at, and they were the only person that didn't know. And so some people are on their phone. Some people are engaged in conversation so much. Some people are just taking a nap before the game uh, gets started, and you're just watching them. They are the only people here who are not aware. They are, as they call it, oblivious to what's going on. This morning, one of my commitments is I want to make sure that you don't get caught on the oblivious cam this morning. I I don't want you to be in the middle of an exciting, spirit-moving, God-shaking kind of experience and for you not to know how exciting and what God is doing in us, through us, around us all of the time. I don't want you to be oblivious to the exciting faith that you and I live. In fact, that's a big part of what the Apostle Paul wants us to see here this morning as he is writing to that church in Thessalonica. He wants them to know how exciting their faith is. And in fact, he kind of unfolds this for us this morning. And when he talks about exciting, he says that our faith is really exciting. And the first reason for that is that we have an exciting church. We have an exciting church. Now what I want you to notice here in verse 2, Paul begins his list of things that he is excited about. He wants to list and say, these are the things that I give thanks for. And you know what is at the top of his list at his beginning of his day as he begins to think, you know what I'm excited about? You know what I give thanks for? You know what I can't stop giving thanks for? He said, it's the church. Huh, that's the top of your list, Paul, is, is, is church? You mean like church, like, like, like my church? That's, that, that's the top of your list? All of the things that you can think of at the top of your list to be excited about is church, huh? You see, I think that sometimes we have a tendency to kind of overlook church as the possibility of an exciting place. I think sometimes we can come to church out of a sense of habit. I think sometimes we can come to church out of a sense of duty. I think we can come to church out of a sense of obligation. I think it's possible that there's even been times in your life that you've come to church even with a sense of dread. Maybe it was something that was happening inside of your life that just kind of made it like, "Ah, church is the last place I want to be today. Maybe it was something happening in the life of the church that you're like, man, that is not the place that I want to be. Sometimes we can come to church out of duty, out of habit, sometimes out of dread, sometimes it's a chore. Sometimes church is just background noise. It's just there, but we've learned how to tune it out, and we don't expect a whole lot to come out of it. But when Paul takes a look at the church, when he takes a look at the church in Thessalonica, he says, I can't stop being thankful for this church and this congregation. What is it that Paul knows about church that maybe maybe we're oblivious to? Well, one of the things that I think Paul knows about church that, that, that maybe we miss out on is that Paul is just glad this church in Thessalonica exists. 
You remember two weeks ago when we looked in the book of Acts at the birth of this church in Thessalonica? And we talked about how the fact that Paul comes into this church, he stays a very short period of time before he gets run out of town. The people who are left behind who are believers are just a handful of people. And what they are left with is incredible and intense pressure that is fighting against their faith. And now Paul has left town and he is waiting to hear reports Are they okay? Are they still there? Are they still meeting? Have they had to leave? And the reports are that the church in Thessalonica is still there, still meeting, still praying, still praising, still worshiping, still hearing the word, still gathering. And Paul says, I am so excited to know that you exist. Now, sometimes over the passage of time, we can have different opinions about church. I I will tell you that as a pastor, Sometimes I fall into a trap of being more in love with our church on a Sunday where we've got lots of people here and being discouraged on a Sunday when we don't have as many people here. And that's been the journey that I've walked as a pastor. All of my ministry is pastor. But over and over again, God teaches me and reminds me and says, don't overlook the fact that any time there is a gathering of a church in the name of Jesus, it's a big deal. Whether it's 5,000 or 5 or 150 or 136 or whatever that number may be, it is a big deal that people have left their homes, they have rearranged their schedules, they have rearranged their lives to gather in the name of Jesus. That's a big deal. And so Paul says the church in Thessalonica is still there. They are still meeting. I think that's awesome. And he celebrates it and he says, I can't stop giving thanks for the fact that that church exists. Friends, I give thanks that this church exists. I give thanks that you are here this morning, that you have rearranged your life and your schedule and all of your routines so that you can come and be part of this gathering of the church of Jesus Christ. I give thanks for this church. But Paul also goes a little bit deeper and a little beyond that because he sees some things in the church in Thessalonica that I believe we're supposed to see in all churches. And he says, when I think about those attributes of a church, he says, that fires me up and I can't help but give thanks. We see this in in verse 3. He says, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, when I think about your church, and I look at your church, he says, man, I I see that work of faith. I see that labor of love. I see the steadfastness of your hope in Jesus Christ. He says, and when I see those things that are true in your church, I cannot stop giving thanks for what God is doing in the life of your church. Now, If this were the only passage that we were ever going to look at in 1 Thessalonians, man, we'd camp out here and we'd spend a lot of time, but that's not our assignment. But man, I want you to think about those verses. The work of faith, the labor of love, the steadfastness of hope. In fact, if I were to put that in a different way, he says what I'm excited about in your church is that you are a church that believes, that breaks a sweat, 
that loves and sticks to it for the long term. You are a church that believes, that breaks a sweat, that loves and sticks to it for the long haul. And that captured me in this week. And in fact, one of the things that I would have to say to you this morning is that we have an exciting church. Not just Woodland Park Baptist Church, but the body of Jesus Christ is an exciting church. And I would say, shame on me and shame on our staff and our church leadership and our deacons and anyone else that provides leadership in the life of our church. Shame on us if we ever present to you a boring and mundane church. This is an alive place because an alive Jesus. And if we ever stand and prepare a worship service, prepare a message, prepare a schedule, a routine, a ministry structure that is boring, then shame on us. And if we ever present to you a ministry structure, a ministry identity that is different than what is described here, as a place that believes and breaks a sweat and loves and sticks to it for the long term. If we ever swap that out for some other kind of plan or schedule or routine or personality or anything else, then shame on us. And I have to say it the flip side as well. Our leadership is responsible for this, but I would also say this to you as a church. I'm going to say it as nice as I can, okay? This is, this is my nice voice, okay? Shame on us. Shame on us as a church if we ever come expecting boring and mundane. And shame on us if we come to church looking for something other than a church that believes and breaks a sweat and loves and sticks to it for the long term. The work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. That's what we are. And that, my friends, will put a pep in your step. It is exciting. We have an exciting church. But I also want you to know as we look at this passage of Scripture that we also have an exciting relationship. We have an exciting relationship because here's the truth. As great as church is, if church was just us, just us, just the people that we see in the room today, if church was just us, then we would just be another club or an organization in this community. And the truth is, this community, this world, does not need more clubs, does not need more organizations. You don't need more things that you need to just add to your calendar in life. What makes this place exciting as a church is not just the presence of the gathered people here, but the fact that we have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, this emphasis is in verse 4 of this passage. When Paul says this, he says, Brothers who are loved by God and chosen by 
him. I want you to notice that relationship. I want you to notice the fact that the person that we're talking about is relationship with God. I want you to see here that he refers to us as brothers. Now the thing is, is that God could describe his relationship with us in just about any way that he wants. I mean, he can call us his creation. It's true. He, he, he can call us his pets. He can call us aliens. He can call us underlings. He can call us servants. I mean, there's really no limit to the things, subservient things that God could call us because he is the creator and we are not. But I want you to see that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in the word of God, when he describes his relationship to us, he describes it as family. Brothers, the footnote in many of your Bibles will say, it could say brothers and sisters. Brothers, you are family. We are family with God himself. How exciting is that. But it also tells us that we are loved by God. You know, there's a full spectrum of relationships Every once in a while, somebody will meet you for the first time, and they will find out that you went to such and such high school. And like, wait, that's where you went to high school? Wait a minute, I know somebody that went to high school there. Do you know, and they'll give you that person's name? Do you remember that person? Now, depending on how long it's been since you went to high school is how much work you've got to do to answer this question. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, that was just last week, or that was Tuesday. Others, it's like, Ooh, you know how many presidents we've had since I was in high school? Uh, you you kind of go through a list, and so you got to figure out, now that name, now do I know that name? Do I know that name? And, and sometimes you have to say to that person, you know what, I, I don't think I know that person. I, that, that name doesn't ring a bell whatsoever. But maybe you can say, you know what, um, you know, I, I can't say that I knew that person but boy, that name is familiar. I remember hearing that name. I'm familiar with, with that name. And maybe you can say, well, you know what? I, I remember them being on campus. I, I might have had a class with me. I, I did know that person. I remember signing that person's yearbook. Maybe you can say, you know that person? Oh, man, we, we were friends. In fact, that, that was one of my best friends in 10th grade. Boy, I, I really knew that person, and I cared about that person. There's a whole spectrum of those relationships. Now, I want you to think about the fact that this passage of Scripture tells us that we are loved by God. You see, when it comes to the possible relationships that we could have with the creator of the universe, it is quite possible that the creator of the universe does not know or care who we are. That, that, that's a real possibility. It's also possible that the creator of the universe, uh, because he is all-knowing, he, he has a database that has all of our names in it, and he knows who we are. And he says, oh, I know that name. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with that name. It, it could be that we have a God that knows about us. And just think about that, to have a God that knows about us. And then we could even get to the place that we have a God 
that cares about us, a God that is invested in what happens inside of our lives. That would be fantastic. But this passage of Scripture tells us God is not just aware of us. He's not just familiar with us. He doesn't just care about us. But God loves us. God loves you. God loves me. That's pretty exciting. Now, if you think about it some more, and you begin to think about it, who God is, that God loves us. And then you think a little bit about who us is. Say, that God. loves me. After all the things that I've done, after all the things that I've wanted to do, after all the places that my mind, my mouth, all the places where my heart has been, you're telling me that the holy God loves me? And the answer to that is yes. It is an incredibly exciting relationship because we are family and you are loved. And then the passage says, are you ready for this? That you are chosen. He has chosen you. Now, sometimes in church we get a little bit bumpy when we talk about this idea of God choosing. Let me tell you that I believe that the clear teaching of Scripture is that there's not a single person who's ever drawn a breath that does not have access to the saving work of Jesus Christ. Let me be super, super, super clear about that. But at the same time, we also need to pay attention to what the Word of God says in this passage. It says, He has chosen you. So what does that mean that He has chosen you? I would tell you that I believe that that is referring to the pre-working of God inside of your life. In other words... Before you thought about God, before you went looking for God, before you went searching for God, before you were praying to God, before you did any of those things, God was stirring and moving inside of your heart. God was doing things to draw you to him. Now what does that look like? What that looks like is that he will put people into your life that will draw him, draw you to him. He will put you in places that will draw you to him. He will put words, thoughts, information in front of you, his word, that will draw you to him. He will give you feelings. He will give you experiences that will draw you to him. It is the pre-working of God in your life because this God of the universe who says we are his family, who loves us, he has chosen you and he has been acting over and over and over and over again to draw you to him. In fact, many of us, many of you can resonate with that. Because sometimes it feels like, man, I don't understand what is going on, but it seems like the entire universe is conspiring to pull my heart, my mind, and my spirit in certain directions. That's the movement of the God who has chosen you, who is drawing you, who is doing pre-work inside of your life so that you can know him. 
Now that, my friends, is pretty exciting. But I would also tell you, not only do we have an exciting church and we have an exciting relationship, but I love this part. We have an exciting salvation. We have an exciting salvation. Now listen, don't, don't sleep on this just because these are church words. But there's, an, there's a tendency in this passage, there's a tendency when we hear this passage, there's a tendency that maybe some folks in that living room that were reading this letter for the first time say, Paul, that sounds really good, but, but how do you know that? How do you know that we're family? How do you know that God loves us? How do you know that we're chosen? And what Paul says to him in verse 5, he says, I know this because I was there when you started your walk with God. He says, I was there when it happened. And he describes what happened when they began their spiritual journey, their relationship with Christ, when they became Christians, when they become followers of Christ, fully devoted followers of Christ. When, When they do that, when they did that, Paul says, I was there when it happened. I remember it. And for them, it wasn't that many months ago. He says, I remember when this happened. He says, the gospel came to you in word and in power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. He says, I want you to remember back to where it was that it began. He says it started with word, truth, idea, the revealed word of God. It was truth delivered to you. It was information. It was ideas that you did not know before or understand before. But now when you heard it, when you discovered the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives, when you heard those ideas and that truth, you responded to it because you responded to the word because the gospel came in word. But he says, man, it was not limited to word. He says, because the word came and it was accompanied with power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Hear this, hear this, hear this. Our faith is not based on our agreeing to a certain set of beliefs. Our faith is not just our raising our hand and saying, I agree to join this club, organization, society. It is by the supernatural work of God inside of your life. It is when the presence of God, the living God, comes into a dying soul with power and the living presence of the Spirit of God when he frees us from the bondage and moves us from darkness and brings hope into places where we had no hope before. There is an aliveness to our salvation. Paul says, I know it's true because I saw the gospel came in word, then it came in power in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, it came with full confidence. Now, I love that part. Because I'm going back and thinking about the folks in that living room who are receiving this letter, the early church in Thessalonica. Some of those folks came from the synagogue. And after a handful of weeks, Paul had preached in the synagogue. And the leaders of that synagogue told Paul, get out of here, we don't want to hear this anymore. You're not allowed to be here. And they tossed him on the street. And the vast majority of people in that synagogue says, we're not interested in Jesus anymore. But a handful of them 
responded to the word and experienced power in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And they said yes to Jesus. And Paul says, and you had full confidence. Others in that church came from the pagan community where they worshiped idols on almost every street corner where none of their neighbors had ever even heard of the name of Jesus, and now they have committed their whole lives to Jesus. And so just about every single person in that church had been a commitment to Jesus out of high risk and had to walk out on that line by themselves. But Paul says, the gospel came to you in word power in the Holy Spirit and with full confidence. Here's one of my favorite things about the gospel. You can know for sure and have confidence about your relationship with Christ. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, the apostle Paul says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Here, what Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, what John tells his congregation, what I say this morning is that your relationship with Jesus Christ is not about hoping and crossing fingers and maybe it all works out in the end. It is because of what Jesus Christ has done that if you will believe on his saving work, you can know and you can begin your faith journey because of the word, because of the power, and with full confidence. So what does this mean for our lives? How do we apply this in our lives? Well, the first thing is, man, is he calling and drawing you right now? Is this the people, the place, the circumstance, the thinking, the emotions, the experience that he has drawn you to? Has he been stirring in your life for weeks, for days, for hours? Has he been drawing you in your life for months and years? And you have not said yes to him? Man, today is the day to say yes. Today is the day for you to respond and say, huh, that wasn't just a coincidence, all of those things happening around me. That was the pre-work of God drawing me to salvation, and I say yes to him today. Again, it's not believing a list of things. It's not knowing a list of things. It is knowing that Jesus died for us for the forgiveness of our sins and that he is the ruler and master of our lives. And if you're ready to say yes to that, then that's the number one thing that you need to do today. Uh, secondly, I would say to you, is it possible that you've been slightly oblivious lately? If the camera had caught you in the last week when all of these great spiritual things are happening and can be happening around your life, that you've had your head down and you've been on your phone, you've been in conversation, you've been distracted, you've been tired, maybe you were taking a nap, and you've been oblivious to the excitement that is walking with Christ. And my advice to you in this week is just lift your head up. 
Look around. Pay attention. I got to tell you, after I saw the first person on that oblivion cam, my face was on. I, I kept my eyes on that screen the whole time. You weren't going to catch me. I would say to you, church, don't get caught oblivious. Have your head up. Notice the wonder and the excitement about what God wants to do inside of our lives. And then one last piece. I want to just invite you, if you need to be reminded of your relationship with Christ, that you are family, and that you are loved, and that you are chosen, I want to invite you to just come and spend a few minutes of prayer here at the steps. Maybe it's been a kind of week that has felt lonely and isolated and difficult and uphill. And the words that your soul needs to hear today is that you are family and you are loved and you are chosen. Those aren't my words. Those aren't even the Apostle Paul's words. Those are the words of the Spirit of God to your life today. You are family. You are loved. And you are chosen. And as Brian comes to lead us, Man, if you need to just pray where you are, then do that. But man, if you just need to have a moment and just be reminded of the reality of the relationship, come and just spend a few minutes here and let him wash over you this morning.